0: This is the KJC Podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm your host, Kevin James Coleman, and this is episode number four. Hope you all enjoyed the first three episodes. Hard to believe that we're already on episode number four. This is flying by. I hope you're all enjoying The podcast so far, and I hope you're all staying safe during this crazy, crazy time, uh, the world that we're living in as we continue to battle through this coronavirus pandemic. In some parts of the country, things are starting to slowly open. And I mean slowly. I've seen some restaurants do just outdoor patio seating. Uh, That's it uh, for cocktails, maybe a light food menu. But what amazes me is going out and still seeing all the folks who have a mask on, but it's not on their face. Yes, you've heard that correct. The other day I went for a hike and I kid you not, I've seen this multiple, multiple times. Uh, I've got the mask, I've got my mask, I've got my gloves, so forth, everything's on. And there were multiple people wearing a mask, but not wearing it the right way. Like for example, this guy you know, I'm not saying that this was a crowded mountain or anything, but there, you know, it was a nice day. So people were, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't crowded, but people were out trying to get this hike in and everyone was, you know, staying safely away. But I, I kid you not, there was one guy and this was multiple people too, but what this one guy stuck out to me the most because, you know, we're out in public, we're at a place where there's other people. And this guy is wearing his mask around his neck. Like he didn't even bother trying to, you know, I, I, we were, he was behind me a a couple times. So I remember looking back this guy for a good while was just wearing this thing around his neck and he was by himself and he's just, you know, kind of, you know, just enjoying the outdoors and I get it. Like, you know, trying to run with a mask on sucks and trying to get a workout in with a mask on sucks if you're outside with people, but this guy was just like, you know, it wasn't, this wasn't like a strenuous hike or anything. And this guy is just going bop, 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 you know, and just enjoying his time, but just not wearing his mask, no gloves, wearing a mask around his neck. I'm just thinking to myself, what's the point then? At the end of the day, just keep checking in on your family, your friends, and again, continue to thank just the healthcare workers and the first responders. I think one of the cool things that I've, that I've seen throughout the last two to two or three weeks here in Boston, especially is... New Balance, the shoe company, they're based here in Boston. You know, I'm here up in Boston where there's so many well-known hospitals. Some of the best healthcare workers are in this city of Boston. Some of the best hospitals, not just in the country, but in the world. And New Balance is sending nurses. I've seen several nurses post this on social media where they're getting, they're being gifted shoes. Brand new New Balance shoes. They're you know, the company's just sending them to the hospitals for the nurses because a lot of I'm sure you all have noticed that in hospitals. And if you, you know, if you have a family member or a friend who's a nurse, they're all rocking sneakers because they want to be comfortable. It's it's a lot of walking around and it's it's a long hour, so you want to wear something comfortable. And I think New Balance did the great thing by sending all these nurses and and doctors new New Balance sneakers. And I got to tell you, they're sharp. Some of these, some of the ones that they're, they're posting, uh, they're you know, New Balance are great shoes. So good on New Balance for sending uh, shoes to all the nurses and the doctors, because, you know, we're thinking of, we're thinking of you all and you're the ones who are trying to, trying to slow the spread. And, you know, it's, it's amazing to see not just what New Balance has done, but what local restaurants are doing by sending, you know, so much food and and, and water and all the great things that all the local restaurants are doing, not just here in Boston, but across the nation, across the world. So many people, there's so many good people out there that are doing what they can to to help, to help. And it's it's just one of the, that was something that, I, that caught my eye this week was New Balance sending shoes to nurses and doctors. I thought that was so cool. Now, I'm excited for you all to listen to this episode because we're going to be talking to Paul Carcaterra, who is an analyst at ESPN. I've gotten to know Paul throughout the last couple of years. Great guy. You know, he's known for being a part of the broadcast team covering college lacrosse on ESPN, but he is also on the sidelines or in the booth for college football on ESPN as well. Now, Carc played lacrosse at Syracuse where he was a captain, an All-American, And won the national championship in 1995. You know, spent some time playing pro lacrosse as well before getting into uh, his new career, which is broadcasting, where he continues to excel today. In a world where there's no pandemic going on, Carcaterra would be getting, would be busy right now getting ready for the final four of the NCAA tournament for men's lacrosse, which is such a fun weekend, folks. Oh, it's such a fun weekend of lacrosse. I remember. I remember in middle school going down to Baltimore and I remember seeing Johns Hopkins. I want to say this was 2006, 2007, around that ballpark. I want to say it was right around then. got to see Johns Hopkins beat Duke in overtime, and I never played lacrosse, but a lot of my buddies did, and I was, you know, I'm I kept saying to myself, "Man, I'm jealous. I sh- I had something I should have picked up. It's it's such a terrific sport. It's it is it is so much fun. It's fast-paced. It, it's a terrific, terrific game. And I remember going down there, you know, seeing Johns Hopkins beat Duke. Just remember how, how much fun it was. And, you know, looking back now, watching it over the last couple of years on ESPN, it's just become such a tradition for lacrosse fans and sports fans across the nation. They come together for one big weekend on Memorial Day weekend, and that's for college lacrosse. And you get to see some of the best players, you know, in the country and in one stadium getting to play each other and fight it out for a national championship. And Paul is a part of that broadcast. And he, I think one of the the best things that he does is he's a terrific storyteller. You know, he has a really unique way of finding a story about a certain student athlete leading up to a game and telling it and during the broadcast and his we're going to talk about his preparation obviously with the pandemic going on there's going to be no tournament this year in 2020 but we're going to talk about if there if there was a tournament on Memorial Day weekend how is he getting ready for it what kind of notes is he taking what kind of film is he watching uh, he he does a terrific job of telling you how he gets ready for a broadcast whether it's college football or college lacrosse and we look into professional lacrosse as well. Uh, we look into his time as at Syracuse University as playing for the for the lacrosse program and what it was like winning a national championship. And I think we're also going to detail about where lacrosse is going uh, on a professional level, on a youth level. But I think we're also he's going to detail at the end where. Who is going to be the team to look at in 2021? Uh, there's, some, there's been some big news in terms of transfers uh, with the pandemic happening. Some seniors are moving to different schools. Uh, Duke just got a big name player. We're going to detail that, so stay tuned. But before we jump into the interview, I want to tell you guys about Anchor. It's free, and honestly, who doesn't love free? There's free tools to help make your podcast from your phone or your computer. And the best part, Anchor will distribute your podcast for you. So it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and a ton of other platforms. Download the Anchor FM app today. It's free. And one of the cool features as well is you, the listener, Can record a voice memo on your phone and you can send it to me the KJC podcast and I will air it on the next episode it could be a question or if you have an opinion on whatever it may be record it send it I'll take a listen and reply on the next episode if you're looking to start a podcast of your own look no further download the anchor FM app today welcome back to the KJC podcast this week we have got Paul Carcaterra ESPN lacrosse analyst. Paul, how are we doing? How's everything going in Richfield?
1: I'm great, man. Uh, let's see. It's not necessarily what you're accustomed to, but I think that's the case pretty much anywhere in the Northeast. It's, uh, it's crazy times, man. It's, it's not the town that I'm accustomed to, to walking around and just uh, the entire vibe. And I think uh, our country as a whole from a humanity standpoint is just a challenge, man. It's a day-to-day challenge in so many respects.
0: And I think the cool thing, too, that I've seen you post on social media a couple times, you got your kids at home in Richfield. Obviously, they're not in school, but they're still out in the driveway getting getting their reps in, doing some cone workouts for lacrosse. Has, yeah. this, has this been a way for you as a dad to be able to just be with the kids, obviously, and to kind of hone in on not just lacrosse, but just to be home? I know you got a busy schedule. How's it been like? since the whole quarantine started?
1: Well, it's, it's, it's been crazy, but there's a lot of golden moments. You know, I, I think if you, if you understand that um, we've all hit this pause button, right? Everyone's hit this pause button. you got to sit back and reflect and, and understand that the last thing you want to do is, is regret the opportunities that are here, right? Like, you can have a poor attitude and wake up every day and say to yourself, like, Oh boy, another day. It's Groundhog Day on steroids. Here it goes again. Um, but, I, but I think if you understand there's some golden moments in, in these days and in these opportunities, I, I think that you're going to grow a lot. I mean, the, the biggest fear that I have, Kevin is like waking up in three years and saying like, why didn't I do this during the quarantine? Because like we've never had this opportunity where it's a standstill. I think when the switch turns on, people are going to be so gung-ho to just get back to life and get back to things that they used to do and love that will kind of just be flying all around. Whereas people I think are going to struggle in a few years, thinking back with regrets of of maybe things they could have done with their time. So for me, I've actually been pretty busy. I mean, I'm I'm doing a lot of digital stuff. I still have my podcast. Uh, I've been on so many so many Zoom calls with teams, which I think is really good, too. And it's been beneficial for me because I think I need to stay connected. But I also, you know, I, I talk for a living in terms of just analyzing sports and reporting on sports. And, and all these Zoom calls are a great opportunity to to connect with humans and and to continue to hone my craft and, and the messaging and And the questions that I get have have oftentimes made me reflect. I mean, I've I've had high school kids, college kids ask me questions that I've sat back and thought about it. And even when I, you know, I hit the red button to end the Zoom call, I I sit there and I think about things. So those have been really beneficial for me. They've made me reflect. And, you know, we're all very vulnerable at this time. Um, But I think if you understand that you can grow as a person and there's opportunities, you know, for me as a dad, I've been able to connect with my kids, certainly on, on a different level. My daughter's super into sports. She's only 10. But I feel like if she was playing Ridgefield Youth Lacrosse, skill-wise, she probably wouldn't be as good as she is now because she's just in the backyard playing wall ball, playing with me. And, yeah, she's missing out on tons of opportunities to, to play with her friends, and that's what's most important. I wouldn't trade that for anything. But the silver lining here is she's
0: turned into a pretty skilled player. Now we'll talk about some of the conferences and the the chats you've had with some teams here uh, throughout the college lacrosse level, but normally you'd be getting ready for Memorial Day weekend, which is a huge weekend in college lacrosse at the NCAA tournament. Now, without there being a pandemic, kind of walk me through your preparation for that weekend because it's a long season. There's a lot of teams, a lot of players that you got to get ready for in a normal year when you're getting ready for for that tournament on Memorial Day weekend. What's your prep work like?
1: My prep work is actually easy. It's, it's, it's the gearing up, like, physically that I think is most important. Because, like, I follow the sport of lacrosse 365 days a year. When the four best teams are left on the field, you could take their jerseys off, and I, I'd be able to call the game. Because I know stylistically how certain players play. I've been watching them since they were younger in high school, coming up the ranks as a recruit, and then going into to college and following them if they're a senior for four years they're freshmen, I know who they are. So the actual prep work is, is, is easy. I, I just did the quarterfinals the week before of the 18s. I've been doing all the playoff games. I call these guys all season long. We're really top-heavy in the ACC with the ACC network in terms of coverage. So I, I, I've covered all the ACC teams. I've, I've done so many games throughout the course of the year. I, you know, there's no one sneaking up on me. For me, it's like physically preparing you know, as crazy as it sounds, like, they're long days, so, you know, you got to stay hydrated, you got to stay fit, you got to get your sleep, just like as an athlete, you know, you want to be at your sharpest moment when the stakes are the highest, and the only way you can do that is, if, like, you're physically there, too, so the mental prep work, I mean, yeah, we're on tons of calls, and I'm watching some tape from the week before, and I'm talking to coaches throughout the course of the week. And then we watch practices when we're down there before the final four and we meet with all the players. So we get like the, the current updated version of the teams and, and the players from a, a psyche perspective. But the actual like prep work for me is, 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 is pretty easy at that point.
0: Now you can see Paul on the sidelines. You mentioned just getting mentally prepared for it because you're right. Some, some tournaments are just brutally hot yeah, yeah. you gotta got a little suit. Sometimes you're able to take the jacket off a little bit on the sidelines. But has there been – and you've had plenty of plenty of great games that you've been able to be on the broadcast for. Is there a game that sticks out to you the most over the last maybe, I'd say, three to four years that stick out to you from that Final Four tournament where you're on the sidelines?
1: Yeah, I would say North Carolina and Maryland in 2016 when North Carolina won in overtime. Um, Chris Cloutier, Canadian kid, scored the game winner. The score was 14-13. That game was amazing. That game had everything. It had drama. It had lead changes. It had last minute in the fourth quarter total mental lapse where you thought a team was going to lose because of a, a player making a decision, which ended up, you know, being able to get over that hurdle and win. Um, it, that game had everything. To me, it was just, it was, that was a magical, magical game because, the journey of it, too, with, with Coach Joe Bresci uh, at North Carolina, to me, um, you know, he went back to Columbus, Ohio in the quarterfinals um, to beat a Notre Dame team. Columbus, Ohio is where he coached at Ohio State, where his son Michael died when he was three years old. You know, so they went back and, you know, they were able to visit M- Michael's burial spot and just so many emotional things with with Carolina and then. You know, them winning at the end and, and, and Coach looking up at his family. There's just, you know, so many great, great things. Like, to me, sports is more about the story and, and humanizing a, a person than the X's and O's. So I think that that game also had, a, like, a journey behind it that, that made it more meaningful.
0: We're talking with Paul carcaterra ESPN lacrosse analyst. Paul also won a national championship during his time as a lacrosse player at Syracuse University. Walk me through some of your best memories playing college lacrosse.
1: Wow, there's so many, but obviously winning a national title my sophomore year in 1995 uh, was, was a great memory. But I think the greatest memory that's going to sound nuts was my senior year. We lost to Maryland in the Final Four. and the last few minutes of that game, going down to the last seconds when we were down by one and Maryland finally had the ball and we're gassing out the clock. I just remember having this like feeling of, of pain and hurt that was so strong knowing that my college career was over. And as nuts as that sounds, that's probably the best moment because it hurt so much that I knew how much it meant to me to, to be able to, to capture that and to to understand what those four years were like, because I played for a guy named Roy Simmons Jr. who's the best coach ever, and he wasn't a, a great X's and O's coach, but he just was able to, to dial into people and make people feel really confident, and, and you were so comfortable within the confines of the team. It, it, it had everything. It had everything that you'd want as an athlete. So the hardest part of seeing it ending was also the greatest joy of understanding what I just did, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. How's the game changed from then in the 90s throughout the mid 90s to, to now to 2020?
1: You know, it's weird. I, I think the game is more the same now uh, than, than ever. See, in 95, the game was very fast. It wasn't, wasn't as structured. And my four years of college that ended in 97, it was a lot of free flowing, fast, high tempo lacrosse. And then towards the late 2000s into about 2012, 13, it became really, really slow, overcoached, almost like watching paint dry to the point where we had to get the shot clock in. Uh, You you never needed a shot clock when I was there. Like, it it just wasn't the way that the game was played. And then it hit a really, really slow tempo pace that was brutal. And then the shot clock came back. and Now we're seeing it fast again. So it's almost like fast, slow, fast. I played fast. We've witnessed slow, and now it's fast again.
0: Now you graduate from Syracuse, and then you move into broadcasting. I think it's such a unique story. You know, when you and I met a couple of years ago, you kind of walked me through that timeline. Explain how you really got your start into broadcasting that's ultimately been your, your career now.
1: You know, I never intended to, to be a sports broadcaster. I went to Syracuse, and the Newhouse School is the, you know, the best communication school in the country, I majored in political science. When I left, I became a school teacher and a coach, really still involved with lacrosse, so people knew who I was in regards to the game. So CSTD, which was CBS College Sports at the time, um, contacted me. They had some opportunities to call some games. I just started calling some games, and I fell in love with it. And I was really bad at it, but I loved it, and I wanted to get better. So I studied myself. I studied the industry. Um, developed some great relationships, and, like, one thing led to the next. Like, lacrosse put me in a position to, to really love broadcasting where eventually I had a football opportunity with ESPN when I moved over to ESPN in 2010, and it just kind of happened organically, and then I stopped coaching and teaching because you can't do both. I was, I was teaching and coaching and calling just lacrosse for about five or six years, but then it got to the point of football um, and just one opportunity went itself to the next, and it was it was great, man. It's just it's it's always been evolving for me. First, it was calling games, then it was calling football. Now I like to tell stories as much as I like call games. Like I always I always think about like humanizing someone before analyzing the plays is is where my priorities lie.
0: And I'm glad you mentioned the the college football part of it because that was something that I was going to get into was your transi- transition and you know your college lacrosse player you win a national championship you're all about lacrosse and then ESPN moves you over to college football as well you know what what was that transition like because was that ever a difficult transition or was it just yeah
1: yeah it was a disaster again like I, I you know I finally got comfortable calling lacrosse games then we were calling lacrosse games differently where I was calling the game from down on the field not as a reporter but as an analyst and I still do that probably 20% of the time. The other 80% I'm up in the booth. But I did enough things for them to think that I would be okay as a reporter in another sport. And, you know, like anything, I would just preparing and planning are two different things. Like when you prepare, you just know your surroundings, you know, the game, you know, all that. But sometimes you over plan. I just felt like in those early years of football, I was over planning and trying to, to jam so much into to one thing. And like, having a script and doing things where now it's like if you looked at my boards like they're they're, they're kind of crazy from the standpoint i just have like little words and nuggets and i just talk and, and that allows me to to understand what's going on in the game and the, and the tempo and the pace and, and how to wrap a story it just it happens naturally um i would say when I first one college football i tried to jam so much into so little and now i have so little that i don't know where it goes which
0: is good And I'm glad you brought in the humanizing part of it because you do get to interact with these student-athletes. And I think you do tell some really compelling stories. And this is such a tough time for any student-athlete, but especially uh, the seniors. Uh, I think one of the cool things is that what you do is, for lacrosse especially, is you get to go to different lacrosse programs and you cut hair. You turn turn yourself into a little bit of a barber over there. I think I think yeah, you need, yeah. I think I need to book an appointment with you. My hair is getting a little. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I've actually started cutting hair when I was in
1: fifth grade, um, back in Yorktown, New York. So I've been cutting hair my whole life, and I and I love to do it. And I, you know, I was I was doing some things with athletes where I did drive arounds for a while, and I just felt like you know what, like other people can do this, and not that I had this like drive to just always do things differently, but I I figured like why not intertwine a passion or something that i'm i love professionally in sports with something that's a hobby i'm i'm pretty good at so like but to me it's always about like finding ways to tell stories and it's amazing you sit down in a barber chair you can you can talk you see a lot of series where like people are in a barber shop but how many times is the person interviewing the bar is is actually the barber so i I felt like that would be a, a unique perspective
0: how, how have you said your barber skills have gotten lately?
1: You know, I think they've always been good. Like, like I said, I've been cutting hair since fifth grade, so I, 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 I'm a really good barber. I, uh, you know, I can do anything from a skin fade to give a, you know, my wife a trim. So, like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not a hack. Like, I'm not this – I'm not like some, you know, college kid who's cutting his roommate's hair and, and, you know, doesn't know where it's going. Like, I actually pay close attention to it.
0: All right, so when I come back to Richfield, I'm booking an appointment with you, deal?
1: Yeah, as long as you bring your mask. <laughs>
0: <laughs> deal. So, you know, you've had so, so many interactions with student-athletes. Have you had any opportunities, and you've had these these Zoom conferences with a lot of the lacrosse programs uh, this spring. Have you had an opportunity to, to really speak to the seniors and maybe, you know, give off a little bit of advice or just any message to them as they're, you know, some of them are, not able to play in their final season.
1: Yeah, you know, some of them aren't. And then, you know, the NCAA gave eligibility relief to, to the seniors. Some of them will come back. And, you know, that's not a guarantee. There's X amount of roster spots. There's, you know, finances that come into play. There's graduate programs that may or may not exist. There's so many variables there. But, you know, my, my message isn't necessarily senior-driven or sophomore junior, senior, freshman, driven it's, it's, it's kind of all-encompassing. And, like, to me, I think this, this is an opportunity where you need to trust humanity. You need to be vulnerable and to take chances telling people how you feel because we're all having some really, really tough times. Everyone is struggling one way, shape, or form. And I think the more that you put yourself out there and the more vulnerable you can be, the more people will accept you. People will understand that you are human and in essence, they'll want to be around you more. They'll want they'll want you in their corner because you showed vulnerability. Like vulnerability to me is strength. And a lot of people are worried, like, you know, especially in college, like what's someone going to think about me if I, if I come across as weak? No, that's actually strength. And I think that if you can start off by – Allowing your inner circle to to know a little bit more about your struggles, you'll benefit.
0: Now, we're talking about the players. What about the coaches? How have they been handling all this?
1: Look, the coaches, to some respect, I think probably are are struggling more. These are guys that would be in the heart of the season. This would be championship weekend for men's lacrosse. And, you know, so much of their lives revolve around. The personalities in their locker room and practice schedules and travel and meetings and film work. And all of a sudden, all that stuff is taken out of their, their grasp. And all of a sudden, they're resorting to just Zoom calls. You now, these guys love to coach. They like to physically be on the field with their guys, not just from like a lacrosse X's and O's standpoint, but just connecting and, and talking to kids after practice. And the coach putting his arm around you. like. That stuff's super important. And and that's all gone right now. So, like, there's a massive void in their lives. And and they've always been looked at – when you're a coach, you're looked at as a leader and, like, this this really strong person who has no flaws. And I think a lot of these teams are are seeing their coaches struggle too.
0: Now, you mentioned some of the seniors being able to be eligible to come back. But for some seniors, they they have the opportunities to go play professionally. Walk me through a scenario here. If you're a senior and you have an opportunity to play in the MLL or PLL, is, is there one you're taking over the other?
1: Uh, in terms of the pro leagues? Yeah. You know, it's, it's a tough question. The PLL is so loaded with, with top talent that is there going to be a spot for you? You know, there, there's only a handful of college guys that could crack that roster right now. So maybe there's more opportunities in the MLL. But me personally, if you ask me if I'm like the best player in the country, I'm, I'm going to PLL. I'm going to test myself against the best. I'm going to make a run at that. But it might not fit for everyone else. You know, if you're the 15th ranked senior in, in the country right now, there's probably not a, an opportunity in the PLL for you, where in the MLL you might crack a roster and you get some professional lacrosse under your belt. I'm not saying it's an inferior league, but if you were to take the best PLL players against the best MLL players. My, my – my opinion is that the PLL would, would would win that game rather handily. Um, but there's still great players in the NLL. So it all depends on on the type of player you are. But if, if you're the best, I, I think you're going to want to take a crack at the PLL.
0: Where do you see professional lacrosse going in the next couple of years? You know, I know obviously the pandemic doesn't help right now with, with the professional level. But, you know, once everything gets back to normal and sports are back, Where do you see professional lacrosse going?
1: You know, if you follow the PLL, I think they've done a fantastic job at, like, connecting the fans and the players and and giving the the players a platform to really, really showcase who they are as people and their personalities. I, I think, you know, the PLL has taken on a model that's more intimate between the player and the fan than, than any professional sport. I mean, if you follow them on, on Instagram, you feel like you have access to them. Like they, they're always putting themselves out there where, you know, the NFL is this massive entity and a shield and there's, there's a lot more, I don't know if the right word's red tape, but there's a lot more obstacles in terms of connecting with, with the stars of, of that league where I think the PLL puts out just constant, constant uh, video, from a digital perspective uh, that gives fans like that content that they connect with.
0: Now I know you mentioned earlier that you've been zooming with a bunch of teams, especially Duke. You just got off a zoom, zoom call with the Duke lacrosse team. I'm a Duke guy. I've always been a Duke fan since I was a little kid. Now they just got a big transfer. Michael Sowers from Princeton. I know there's not going to be a season this year, but how big is this for the Duke lacrosse program? And does this make them, the early favorite in 2021.
1: Yeah, I, I think so. And I'll tell you why. I think like Duke coming into the season was any, you know, a top 18. But now you're getting the best player in the country. And if there was a season in 2020, he would have been the tour winner for the national player of the year. He shattered every single school record. He's going to have a chance next year at Duke. He's less than hundred points away from the all-time record that Lyle Thompson has. Um, he's, he's going to break that. Uh, if he gets, you know, the opportunity to, to, to play. But he's also a, a generational talent from the perspective that he just does things and, and creates offense for his teammates that not a lot of players can do. Phenomenal full threat attack. He can beat anyone with quickness, but he's got vision of a point guard. So I think he, he puts them in a spot to be an early favorite. But so much of that is predicated on on the chemistry the team will have. Um, people in the locker room, because at the end of the day, he's taking someone's spot, right? It's not like, you know, there's going to be someone who's playing less this next year. Uh, and they got a couple of transfers, you know, they get the the kid from St. Joe's Adler, the goalie is a phenomenal goalie too. So they're doing it on two ends with with a great attackman and a, and a great goalie. Uh, so they will be the favorites, but like, you know, to me, Syracuse has hands down the best midfield in the country and they're all coming back. So like, you know, you're going to have to beat them in the middle of the field. And it's not going to be a, a runaway by any stretch for Duke. But if you have the best player in the country and you have talent around them, uh, you got to feel good if you're a Duke fan. All
0: right, last question here with Paul Carcantaro. Finish on a little fun one here. During the quarantine, what's been the best thing you've watched, whether it's a TV show or movie? Hit me with it.
1: Oh, Breaking Bad. Have you seen Breaking Bad?
0: I've, I just started it. I'm trying to get into it. I'm having difficulty.
1: Oh my god! What, like what, what? What season are you in? Two. Yeah, you gotta let it go, man. Like that. That like to <laughs> me. I I think I think that was great. And I'm not. You know, like I'm gonna be honest with you. Before the, the pandemic, I just watched sports. Like I just have like Sports Center on all the time. ESPN. I'm watching games. i, I found a new love for like series and, and TV, which is kind of cool. So I ripped through all of Breaking Bad. I ripped through all of Ozarks. I mean, I'd watch, I'd watch an episode right before I go to bed, and then, like, when I wake up in the morning early, I get up at, like, 5.30, 6 o'clock, because my son's up super, super early. I give him some time to get acclimated in the day, and I'll throw the TV on for, you know, 45 minutes to an hour, and I still have a full day, because it's only 6.30 at the time. So I, uh, I've connected with, with, with Netflix, but Breaking Bad, to me, is, is, is phenomenal. I mean, Walt the actor in that he's he's epic and you got to watch how his his character just like kind of transitions and just gets completely um off off the tracks
0: i think i think you've got a a, a side career in you know a, a tv critic
1: <laughs> i don't know about that man got my hands full with everything else
0: that's paul carcaterra <laughs> everyone paul thanks for the time i really appreciate it man thank you it was fun good chatting big thanks again to paul carcaterra for the time you can see right there folks just how passionate he is for lacrosse and especially at the college level just the amount of knowledge he has the the amount of detail and the amount of work he puts into his craft which is now broadcasting you can really tell just how much he loves this game what the players and the coaches, you know, he really has an impact on a lot of these student athletes and the coaches. So again, big thanks to Paul for the time, but that will do it for this episode. Thank you all for listening. And another week down folks, thank you all for tuning in. Don't forget to like subscribe, comment, and download the anchor FM app today. Episode number four of the KJC podcast is in the books.